What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Hey, before we start the show, just a thought. Now that the holidays are over, I recognize there's a possibility that you didn't get that jersey, hat, or sweatshirt, or whatever from your favorite soccer club. But did you know, thankfully, all of that's still available by the great people at Soccer90.com. Additionally, while you could go shop for it on their fantastic website, you do know, don't you, there is an actual retail store. Yes, there's an actual Soccer90 brick-and-mortar thing up in Frisco, Texas, at Toyota Stadium next to the Hall of Fame. They're open every day of the week other than Monday. It is a great place to walk in and see everything that you and I love. Soccer stuff galore. U.S. national team, MLS teams, international club teams from all over the world. They've got it. Chelsea, Man City, Bayern, Juventus, Manchester United. They got a little bit of stuff from every place. And if they don't have it, make sure you ask them because sometimes it's tough to get that stuff. Like if you're looking for a Ricardo Pepe Osberg jersey, well, you should know they're working on getting those. They also have other types of soccer gear like shin guards, gloves, etc. A little bit of everything for a little bit of all. Go to Soccer90.com, the website, or go to the store in Frisco, Texas. And when you do check out, use the code KICKAROUND to get 25% off. Some exclusions apply. Soccer90.com, Soccer Christmas 24-7. It's time for the Kick Around. The Ticket's weekly show all about soccer. Two hours of HSOs on the clubs, leagues, and tournaments of the world's game. It doesn't matter if you're new to the sport. Don't worry. This is the Ticket. We're just kicking it around. Now, our very own yellow and red card, Andy Swift and Peter Welpton. Half an hour play. Oh, and the opening goal! And it's the substitute, Yerry Vidar! The Frank Lampard era underway with a goal from his Colombian centre-back. Providing a very welcome reminder of the good old days. Had a hope, ones And welcome to today's kick around. Look at us broadcasting on a Saturday from 2 to 4. Everything's back to normal for you, the good P1 that likes to sit around, talks some soccers and all that implies. Hi, don't forget you can find us on our website. It's bright and shiny and new, thekickaround.com. And for those of you who are new here or unfamiliar, hi, my name is Peter. And also in this room with me is a noted soccer expert. His name, Andy Swift. Hello, Peter. How are you today? In this fine FA Cup weekend. The FA Cup continues to be yeah. so cruel. So cruel? So cruel. Because your team lost. So it's cruel. a heartless, cruel tournament of pain. The FA Cup is romantic and wrong. everything football should be about. Wrong. You are so wrong, sir. When the minnows come out and slash. But that didn't happen. 
did it, Goliath. Andy. We well, had two massive opportunities oh, for was, minnows. I thought to slay Goliath. Okay, Middlesboro in the I, championship yesterday. is not minnow. Oh, because they were just playing a run of the mill. EPL team. Right. Who, who were exactly. they playing? Mid-table no, Manchester they United. Manchester United. Oh, Same. Liverpool's better than Man U. Totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except also United's not bad. But today, Chelsea at home against Little Plymouth in League Two. Mm-hmm. West Ham United had to go to someplace called Kid Minister in a stadium called Og... Oh, what is it? It's the Augsboro? I can't remember. England. What what the name of that stadium is? It's pretty. I'll ridiculous. look it up. I had it here. Were earlier. you? Did you? Uh, what were you? How were you consuming those two matches? One over the other, both at the same time. What uh, did you choose? No, I was watching the. I was watching the Manchester. Excuse me, the ham. The ham game. Yeah, Agboro at, at Agboro. Yeah. Thank you. Um, against Kid uh, Kidderminster. Yeah, Kid, that, Kidderminster. That's the one I chose to watch simply because. Um, oh, watching FA Cup games at little non-league stadiums right, is fantastic. Exactly. Except I have to say, that's the fanciest, most kick-ass non-league stadium I've seen. So let's explain non-league. This is the sixth tier, or yes. below, but so in you've the got, case of... you've got the Premier League at the mm-hmm. top, yep. and then you've got Championship, League One, League Two. Those are all part of what's called EFL. Okay. That is league football. Right. And anything underneath League Two is all deemed yeah. non-league. Right. And pro- fully professional still or semi-pro? Depends. Yeah. A lot of teams are still fully professional at that level, especially those that have played at higher levels and have come down and they're trying to get back up. Kid Minister is a great example of this. That reason why that stadium is so nice is that they actually uh, won promotion out of non-league to League 2 back in, I think it was the late 90s, somewhere in the 80s or 90s, but were then uh, deemed unable to get the promotion because their stadium at the time didn't meet the requirements. So they were forced to stay in Mm non-league. They did some upgrades to the stadium, and then they did eventually end up winning promotion to League 2. And I think they were in League 2 up until like 2004, and they got relegated again, and they're back down there. So. And they also uh, had a very interesting FA Cup game in which they almost won a few years ago, right? Uh, back in 04, just when that was happening, when they were about to go down for the... Right at I'm the end, right at the tail end, but yeah, they played uh, the Wolves, mm. and they were stretched. Uh, they stretched Wolves and, and had a, a... They were tied in the 80s. So if you haven't seen what happened today, West Ham goes to Kidminster, which is just a little bit southwest of Birmingham, right smack dab in the middle of England, or essentially kind of in the middle of England, and it's a small stadium. There's 2,500 seats. They can do self-standing for about another 2,500. And it was amazing scenes. Great uh, great to see this little tiny stadium, smaller than pretty much every Texas high school stadium you can think of. And it was packed to the brim. And Kidminster is winning that game one nothing against mighty West Ham United, a team fighting for a place in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And this is when the cruelty started because West Ham scores with nary a minute left Mm -hmm. in added time to tie the game, to send it to overtime. Yes. And then with just a short and curly worth of minutes left or seconds left before penalty kicks. We were headed to PKs, Peter. West Ham did it again and nabs the game and steals it. 
and yeah. wins it 2-1 in extra time. That's a neat story. Kidderminster is such a small club that ESPN doesn't even have their logo for where they put the scores up. Oh, they don't, do they? Can't even, they, no. they have like a black and white, like just a fake like place and place logo here. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then Chelsea. This is all leading up to a conversation about what happened yesterday. So Chelsea is hosting at Sanford Bridge, Plymouth. Yeah. Am I right in saying Plymouth actually scored first? Yeah, they okay, scored yep. early. Okay, so Plymouth scores first. Chelsea nabs a goal just before halftime and scores again after halftime to take a 2-1 lead, and then again in injury time, a very clumsy tackle in the box on a Plymouth, Plymouth player gives Plymouth a penalty kick opportunity in like the... And I can't remember what minute it was. It was really late in injury this time. This is after Chelsea's gone up 2-1 in injury time. I mean, in, in added time. Or this is when it's 1-1. Because no, Chelsea no. won it in no. added che- extra time. What? Chelsea. They Right. Yes, you're correct. So this is in, yes, Chelsea went to extra time, scored, yeah. made it 2-1. And then in the very, very late part of the second half of added of extra time, right. not added time, right. added time of extra time, exactly. the penalty kick is given after some lengthy VAR looking at. Thank you, VAR alarm. We love you so. The guy steps up. And he has to take a penalty kick at Stamford Bridge. And he's shaking. And it's Keppa. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even like Keppa at Chelsea anymore. Right. He just he can put it to him, right? And he hit it with his purse, and yeah. Keppa saved it easily. What does that mean, Peter? Hit it very softly with not a lot of... <laughs> just, he didn't drive it hard enough. Yeah, I was wondering. Okay. And Plymouth ended up losing that game. Cruelty happens once again. So then... So my question to you, Andy, this is all leading about what happened Friday. Manchester United at home. First time we've seen United play, it feels like, in a month's time. Yeah. Uh, they're playing at home against Middlesbrough, which mm-hmm. is a championship-level team. Mm-hmm. But it's featuring the great Chris, Chris Wilder as their manager now, mm. who has really taken his fantastic, crazy, tactical <laughs> to Middlesbrough. stylings to Middlesbrough, <laughs> okay. which is overlapping Overlap center backs, center backs <laughs> out of a three-man back line. Yeah, okay. And high pressure, high energy, took it to Manchester United and stole that game at Old Trafford. So what is harder to what's harder to swallow? Is it losing to a championship team at home or having to go to extra time or penalty kicks? either at home or on the road, to a League 2 or even a non-league side? If you're a fan of any of those three teams, West Ham, United, or Chelsea, which one's the one you come away from feeling, hmm. You do, if you're Man U, you, down, you dominated a game. It was only your lack of finishing that screwed you and a really, really weird call, non-VAR call and a handball for their goal. But Chelsea and... Ultimately, nothing trumps not getting through. Oh, okay. Worried. I was hoping you'd work with me here, but no. no. <laughs> you, you in your heart, you want it to be like that, don't you? I did, yeah. But no, right? You got to get through. And historically, it's not easy to go to those small venues. That team, that's their season, right? Oh, it's their everything World Cup is final. On, yeah. So, and and look, it's you know, 
A little bit like playing in CONCACAF on the road in some of these minnow countries, that's right? A, you that's know? a very nice analogy, Andrew. I agree with you. So anything can happen in those venues, and you got to come prepared. So yesterday, Manchester United, this was a tough one because uh, Ragonk is trying to make strides in improving this team, but is struggling, and now they've got the whole Mason Greenwood yeah. controversy going on. If you haven't heard, Mason Greenwood has been accused of... Bad things. Rape and murderous threats or something like that after his girlfriend posted uh, horrible videos and audio uh, online and photos of her being abused and some really hard-to-listen-to audio of the two of them in bed together, him being a little bit more insistent about activities than she wants to be. Uh, that's very weird. So he, he was arrested and then uh, let out on, I guess, with English bail? What is English Bale called? Anyway, is that Gareth Bale? And then, um, so and then United just said, "Well, he won't be with us for a while." They're, yeah, <laughs> they're going beyond that. They they just about erased him from the history books. <laughs> yes, and I'm gonna have stop. I'm gonna have to stop doing. Hey, I stood next to Mason Greenwood at Dallas <laughs> Dallas or, Cup game bit or calling him. Uh, what uh, MoneyGram Mason? MoneyGram Mason. Yeah, yeah we no. Can't I do mean, that you know they they've offered not to digress here, but they've offered everybody that's bought a Mason Greenwood jersey a, re- a, replacement, a replacement jersey for free. Yeah. So Mason's not with the team, which is the knock-on effect of that was is poor Jesse Lingard couldn't get the move he wanted. He, he was, was trying to go to Newcastle. He was out. They had all they had all the transfers set. And he happened to be the last one that they were going to sign right. to so the transfer. They let go. They, they loaned out Donnie. <laughs> they loaned out uh, uh, Martial. Jesse was about to go to Newcastle. So it was just bureaucratic paperwork, and his paper just fell to the bottom of the, of the three or four pack, right? But he's so mad that there's some sort of conflict between Ragonk and Jesse of, as to whether or not why he wasn't in the starting lineup or in the lineup at all yesterday. So when United needs somebody of Lingard's quality to come on and help salvage this awful situation against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, he's not available. Now why, I guess, is up... I mean, Ragonk says he asked for some extra time off. Jesse says, no, I always make myself available. They decided to, they wanted me to take... You know, it's who cares? So that's going on. Cavani isn't available because he's somewhere mm-hmm. floating. You know, he's coming back from Uruguay. Yeah. He was never going to make it back. Right. And then on top of it, I mean, I look. I want to complain about the the handball that wasn't called and why that the you way should, they changed the rule is stupid. Fan, you should be mad. No, you want to want to be mad about. I want to be mad about Cristiano Ronaldo missing a penalty kick. Yeah. Not had yep. one saved. Right. Missed a penalty. Sure. Kick. You want. Your million-dollar man to make his PK every single time he steps you up. What but he's human, and look, he's really, really good at taking PKs. Is he? Isn't he? Yep. Uh, I think you need to go look back at is his. It, no? I think it's not as great as you think it is. Because he's Ronaldo, we just assume? But I'm going to – I have an agree. I have an, a grievance even greater than that with Bruno Fernandez because it was Cristiano that forced the turnover in the penalty area – from the keeper, right there with good old Bruno standing at the top of the box with a wide open net, hits it with his left foot, and yeah. hits the post. Ah! <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the sound I made in my house at that moment. And then and then Ronaldo steps up and 
The penalty, I think, was before Oh, it was before? Okay. Yes. Uh, Rashford had a really good opportunity. Yeah. Shaw crossed in a ball that he missed. There were, they hit a, they, oh. they hit an, a crossbar and another one. Yeah, later on. Should have won that game four or five to nothing. And then, of course, there's the handball call. Okay, so do you think that the way the rule is written, as that was deemed... Let, let's explain the goal for those that didn't see it. The ball uh, bounces off the ground into the attacker's hand. I think he actually came off his foot. Okay, his own foot into his hand. He's able to control the ball because of that, and then he crosses the ball into the goal scores. Yes. And this is in the box. So the... Old new rule was that any handball in the box by the attacking team negated any goal. Correct. That's the old new rule. And then, because they just changed that rule, but then now they just changed it back to where if it's accidental. Unless you're the goal scorer. Unless you're the goal scorer. Chris Wilder actually said after the game, I thought it was a straightaway handball. I didn't. He didn't even realize the rule change. Right. So ultimately, it's not even about that rule, I don't think. I think we're getting too lost in that rule. It's whether VAR, the referee, and then VAR thought that was an accidental handball or not. And his arms were not tied to his hips, right? He's handling the ball with his arms flailing. And so I would... Have called that a handball. Yes, as we were talking about earlier, I wouldn't have had an issue with the change of the rule if it was tr- accidental. To me, means I'm facing away from the ball, and the ball comes up and hits me in the hand on the back of my hand. But when I'm facing the goal, trapping the ball with my foot, mm-hmm. and it comes up and hits my arm, which is away from my body, which then prevents the ball from getting away from me, so that I can pass it to a teammate that scores. Yeah, I don't think that's the type of handball no. we want allowed in the game. It's like I asked you if that. But maybe I'm biased because it was against my team. If that foul is committed midfield, they call it. I think they do. Yes. I think if that exact same thing happens in the center circle, that gets called 10 out of 10 times. So what happens is the referee sees it. He doesn't call it because he knows it's going to go up to VAR. Now VAR has to think about all the different rules and, you know, the the ticky-tack aspect of this new rule. And so, therefore, they don't call it. And that's why if it happens in midfield, it's just the referee's call, and he calls that a handball. Yeah. I, it's very confusing the way we're explaining it, but well, it was a definitely a foul. I fifth think. season in a row, unless there's some sort of Champions League miracle, Manchester United will go trophyless once again. Now, since I'm sounding all blue and gross because I'm unhappy about my team Are they losing, out of the EPL race? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Don't be like that. Yep. Um. Let's shine a happy glow light on one Sam Hale as his new Frank Lampard-led Everton Toffees won a big FA Cup game today at home over Brentford 4-1. to one. Look at all of those goals, Sam. It's what's such a foreign concept to me. What's a goal? I haven't seen one in so long. Are you, uh, as a fan, rejuvenated with the change now? Are you re-enthused and ready to get back to mid-table? <laughs> You just had to end it that way. You, you just couldn't let me be. Uh, I Call me on Tuesday afternoon after the Newcastle game. Like I'm glad they won today because it's better than losing, and I was glad to see so many goals. But the Premier League is where we're going to – we need to get out of the relegation zone. If we can get out of relegation, and Newcastle's a big game for that. Now, if we go into Newcastle on Tuesday and get spanked, I'm probably going to still be unhappy. But 
That game means a lot more to me than this one, even though I was very happy to wake up and watch a win this week. All right, we'll talk a little more Everton here in a second. Right now, currently, Spurs is leading Brighton 2-0 in the 25th minute in the FA Cup. Harry Kane and Solly Marsh, although Solly Marsh own goal. Harry Kane has also scored. Uh, Crystal Palace won its FA Cup game 2-0 over Hartlepool. And Huddersfield beat Barnsley. Manchester City clobbered Fulham. That looked like that was going to be... Way more goals than it was because Fulham scored very early and then uh, City followed up two minutes later. Within the first six minutes, it was already 1-1. Petersboro uh, beat Queens Park Rangers 2-0. Southampton beat Coventry City 2-1. Stoke beat Wigan 2-0. Uh, Norwich got a big win today over Wolves on the road 1-0. And Luton Town. Look at Dan Crook's Luton Town beating Cambridge 3-0. In fact, Luton Town's even top 10 in the yeah, championship. That's what I'm saying. They're they a thing now. They may get promoted. They're a little bit too far from that last playoff spot still, but not according to Dan Crook. Oh, no, they have a chance he's doing the Liverpool math that I'm doing. He's doing yeah, Andy okay. Swift's Liverpool math. <laughs> All right. All right, we're going to take a break when we come back. Did y'all know there was actually an important Premier League game today? We'll talk about it next here on the Kick Around. What song are the are, are the kick-around guys performing at Ticketstock this year? We haven't had our uh, annual meeting to talk about this yet. Do you have any submissions? Life is you life. Never, you never walk alone? About life is life. I think you might have missed the deadline. Oh, oh did we? Okay. Mm. Pretty Man, sure it was last year. Andy and I were totally up for doing it. If it's too I'm late, sure. it's too late. <laughs> Famous musicians Andy Swift and Peter Welton were here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. How do you know? Are you musicians? Can you play a musical instrument? Maybe we are just really good uh, singers are in harmony. Are you good singers? Well, you're never going to know now. I, I The world will never recover. <laughs> it's always next year. All right, coming up on the show today. Mm, let's check this off, okay? Andy is going to explain to us how Canada is going to win the World Cup now. Excellent. Let me Daniel Robertson's going to check in with uh, about the big Milan Derby that took place today. That was an exciting game. Mm-hmm. We'll do an episode of the dribble. And the thing I'm most excited about, yeah. no offense to Daniel and to Canada, <laughs> we're going to talk about Robot VAR. And it is here. The VAR, 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 Very excited about Robot VAR. Robot VAR will be like umpire VAR in baseball. It's like Sky Judge almost. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that, so we'll talk about those things. Now, uh, believe it or not, while all that FA Cup action was going on, there was actually, for many people, a surprise, a Premier League game that took place today and just finished up. This is a makeup game, I guess, right? Uh, is yeah. it one of the makeup games? It, it may be. There's yeah. so many games to be made up in the Premier League this year. That's I, I don't, I don't remember weekend. if this was... I'm sure it was a makeup game based on the fact that these two teams got knocked out of the FA mm-hmm. Cup in the previous yeah. round. Watford and Burnley, and this is a big deal because these are two teams fighting at the bottom of the table, tooth and nail, to try to figure out how to get out. And somehow Norwich has leaked their way out of that group of teams. It ended up nil-nil. It was not a very exciting game today. No, and Burnley, who sits at the bottom, the the – what we've been saying about them is, well, they have games in hand, but you got to win those games, right? Yes, and and here they, was one of them. They showed off their new uh, uh, German tree of a striker, Horgwurst. Okay, he didn't have much in his bag today, but it was his first game, you okay. know. 
and Watford debuted good old-fashioned Roy Hodgkin. Hodgins. As the gaffer. As the new manager. How, how long great. will he Great Liverpool, last? great. Crystal Palace, great. I thought he was a very odd choice for Watford because Roy's system isn't one uh, commonly noted as uh, like a quick fix. Innovative? Oh, no, no, no. He's not like a he's not like Allardyce that goes in and suddenly makes them fantastic in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, but there's so much attacking talent in theory on the Watford team. They should be better than they are. So you can look at this one of two ways. You can look at it as here's a team that have given up 40 goals already this year that didn't give up any, although it was against a Burnley team that's only scored eight this year. Or you can say, well, Roy, what happened What happened to all the goals you were going to help us uh, achieve? Burnley ended- scored 16. Don't, don't short. Oh, sorry, uh, I was looking at the uh, table wrong. They had yeah. scored six, only okay. 16. Twice as many as you said, which is still far less than any other team in Premier League. Except for Norwich. Norwich has only scored 13. Ah, okay. Uh, Watford, on the other hand, has uh, scored 23 goals, and they were trying to amp that up, and mm-hmm. that didn't happen today either. So, What an exciting match it was that you were watching on your phone as we were getting ready for the show. Yeah. I decided to just kind of get the audio from you. I didn't think, you know, you think it was worth watching since you were the co-host of a soccer show on a big... What what exciting, uh, from watching the game, what mm-hmm. exciting highlights can you tell us about? How can you add uh, more value to the show now that you've seen the, the game? Roy Go. was wearing a pair of reading glasses that I had not seen before. That looked pretty snazzy. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Right. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> it was. It looked very cold outside, and, okay. and Sean Dice was just wearing his, uh, his uh, dress shirt and tie, Precisely. being very manly. Yeah. Made my point. So, but so the result good for neither team at the end of the day. Both needed that win. Right. And so here's where this gets interesting because Newcastle, the window is now closed. And when Newcastle got bought by the nation state of Saudi Arabia, we all made an assumption they were going to splash the cash, as they like to say over there, and buy like a Messi and a Ronaldo and a Neymar type. Yeah. And to lead fix, them out of the gold. fix their yeah. wagon. Mm-hmm. No, they ended up with Chris Wood <laughs> and nobody else, and a and a collection of other guys. <laughs> yeah, that I, I, here. Let me say this: I am somewhat surprised at the quality of the players they got. I think Newcastle may now have enough pieces in place to salvage this season. Because these are the kind of because here's the thing you got to get you, you're never going to get big name players to come do this on the chance they may not end up playing in the Premier League mm-hmm. right so now you got to go find guys that can help you salvage a season mm-hmm. that you can then somehow divest yourself from when you are up and you do go buy and now can go buy the Messi's and Ronaldo's <laughs> right because right? mm-hmm. now you got Chris Wood what are you going to do with Chris Wood in the Premier League next year when you've gone out and bought all this world-class talent, then now we're excited about you making... loan him is what right. you do. <laughs> I guess, I suppose. <laughs> to Southampton or somebody. But I am, go- I, <laughs> yeah, I am exactly. going to I'm going to predict this now. I think I think Newcastle has done enough in terms of really? the purchase you window. To sa- hey, look, they're only a point out of the relegation zone. Quick snapshot again. We do it every week. The snapshot. There's four teams fighting to avoid three spots. So one of these four teams will save themselves. That's normal. Norwich, Watford, Newcastle, and Burnley, they're all within two or three points of each other, right? Burnley, though, has as many as three games in hand, depending on who right. you're talking. Yeah, yeah, they're the bottom one. Norwich is at the top 16, the other two 15, so it's all very close. Everton at 19, 
close, too close for comfort, I'm sure, for Everton supporters. Two games in hand, I think they'll be fine. So it's really those four teams mm. fighting to avoid three spots. How far up the table will Frank Lampard lead his newly powered Everton? By the way, which also bought Deli Alley, which is crazy, and also got on loan yeah. Donny Vandebeek from Manchester United. That's a, I think that's a good deal. It does have a weird feeling that they bought two guys that play a similar position, and they've yeah, got a, more of a more of a the midfield like a. Not even box to box guys, right? More winger and well, midfield type. Well, no, actually, Van de Beek isn't he more middle and and Ali? Van de Beek, I would side. say, is more of an an eight box to box. Yeah, Delhi can do that too, but he also winger. plays forward. Yeah, uh, more of a eight ten type of player. Okay. I wouldn't say Delhi Ali is a winger, although I'm sure he can play it. I don't know. There's all, they have a lot of players mm. to play in the midfield. They've got Decore. They've got Alon. Who else am I forgetting about? You've got in there. You've, if they're going to play, one of those is Hurst. Gul- Fabian Delp is still there. Yeah, you got Gomez. Bannon is there. Andre Gomez is terrible, but he is still here. Defensive yes. destroyer is what you need if you're going to play Dally. I don't know. Yeah, that's what Alon right? will probably settle into that six role. Anyway, uh, how many spots up does he take him? I don't know. Maybe one or two. But you're not worried. Are Sam? Are you worried about relegation at all? Yes, but I like in in a small sense right now. Yes, but I think within hopefully a month I won't be anymore. But right this minute, yeah, I am worried about it. Okay, that was a lot of answer for a very simple question. You are worried about it, right? Yes. Okay. Hey, wh- uh, I believe you. Uh, while we're uh, talking Premier League stuff, uh, a recent signing by a very prominent brandy big-time club in England has just signed an American goalkeeper. And that story really hasn't made much waves over here. Yeah, Matt Turner's signing to He's, Arsenal is one that I find very confusing and perplexing. On the Matt Turner side, right? Well, I guess on both sides. Like Matt Turner is a fantastic s- s- shot stopper, but if he has a weakness in his game, it's his ability to play with the ball at his feet. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal, under Arteta, has been very... Uh, insistent on playing the ball out of the back. And I it just surprises me that in a globe filled with goalkeepers, you go out and grab Matt Turner when you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that just, I sure. just, no, very good point. So, and, and for Matt Turner to go there and be the number two also, when he's just made it to the national team, he's in a good spot in new England, right? Good coach. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. And again, this is one of those weird deals where I think a guy sees an opportunity and doesn't have a ton of places to choose from. And it's like, I can make a lot more money. I get to go play on a storied team in England in the Premier League. Goalkeepers play a long time. They develop and mature later. He could have waited is what I'm saying. I think so. that opportunity later. I, yeah. Yep. Especially with the World Cup. I mean, because now the United States faces a reality that both of their number one and number two goalkeepers are guys sitting on the bench. They're playing cup games. Right. Zach Steffen played for City today, yeah. but he very rarely plays. He plays the cup. He yeah, plays on a regular cup. for them, yeah. and if that happens with Turner, and I and I prefer Turner over Zach Steffen anyway. Yeah, I do too. Um, I I think he's a, a better goalkeeper, yeah. but I, I did I did find Good personality that weird. too. Yeah. Um, were you are you excited about the guy Liverpool's trying to get? I am, and and honestly, I didn't know much about him other than like in Champions League he's played, but I don't remember him like oh. South American qualifiers he plays for Colombia, mm-hmm. but I've seen video and highlights, and man, that's pretty exciting. Dribbler, good with the ball on his feet. My question is, you know, 
as as is true with a lot of these guys that go to the Premier League and then play for these What's his name? Systems. I forgot. Diaz? Oh, yeah, Luis, Luis Diaz. Diaz. Luis Diaz, thank you. Um, how is he going to adapt to this high-press system? Because he does not play like that with Colombia, and he didn't play at Porto. He wasn't. That's not their system. Jurgen will figure it out. He wouldn't have gotten him had he not some potential there. No, you're right. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very weird winter window. City went out and bought a guy uh, that has got a lot of people you know, pretty excited about that. Chelsea was quiet. Uh, Manchester United essentially shedded a lot of weight and didn't bring anybody in. I mean, United's situation continues to baffle me because I don't think uh, Ragnick or as we love to call him, Ragonk, is going to continue to be the manager. I think they're trying to figure really? out how to get Pochettino or somebody um, to come in and take his place. He doesn't like being in front of the spotlight. He just doesn't like it. Mm. Uh, I think he wants to do the consultancy thing. But he's open to continuing. Yeah, you know, Pogba played yesterday for the first time in this you know, system, and you know, I have pros and cons about that. I, I just The whole United thing is such a weird deal. Um, and, you know, with players leaving, Arsenal's situation with letting Aubameyang leave yeah. essentially for nothing, they just keep letting players go for no no profit at all. And, because and what, they've, is, what is Barcelona doing signing him? He's 31. They signed him to a three-year deal, too, so that seemed kind of Because odd. it's a guy I think they believe can help them that they got. On the cheap. On the cheap, I yeah. guess. I don't know, man. And by the way, did you, did you uh, hear or read his uh, comments that – the only problem he had at Arsenal was Arteta. That it was. He well, just here's my question for you: You Barcelona not only went out and got the guy who's kind of a, and Xavi pushed for him, Xavi the coach, right? Yeah. But here's a guy that was already getting in trouble with his club team. Mm-hmm. And am I correct in saying that he got sent home from his national team from the African Cup of Nations for some sort of um, uh, behavior issue? Man, I don't. I swear, that. I read a headline yeah. that he got. They essentially is it Gabon he plays for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got kicked. They were like, "Yeah, why don't you just go ahead and go home?" Wow, I, that's something. Now I may have that wrong. I may be mixing people up, but yeah, it wasn't like COVID related or something like that. No, right? I, I'm no, under okay. the impression it was. A, so that just seems to be like, why would Barcelona want that in their yeah. mix? But they're in such a weird spot. Yeah. So, all right, uh, we'll get back to all the Premier League stuff next week. Uh, when we uh, do this again. When we come back, Andy is going to tell us how Canada is about to win the World Cup next here on The Kickaround. The Soroy brothers were asking during the mix about Italy stuff, going to games over in Italy, and it dawned on me maybe we should point them in the direction of one Daniel Robertson, who will be joining us shortly to talk about today's giant, massive, brilliant... Milan Derby that took place. We'll do that and talk a little robot VAR here before the end of the show. First off, allow me to drop to my knees and bow towards the greatness <laughs> oh. of the North. The maple syrups mm. are undefeated. Mm-hmm. And since we last talked, Andy, you versus me, America, Eagle versus Moose. According to the official match poster. And Las Vegas statue. That's right. Yeah. Um, Canada stuck it to my boys 2 nothing mm-hmm. up in Hamilton, Ontario, on the weirdest place to ever choose to play a soccer game <laughs> I can think of. Which led to Minnesota right. because well, of that. Yeah, then, I want to yeah. talk about yeah. the whole <laughs> okay. field selection thing here yeah. in a second. All right. But I do want to take a minute, Andy, because this 
this has got to be weird for you. I didn't even realize this until uh, mm. afterwards I was doing a bit of research because it all feels like to me Canada suddenly got good at soccer mm-hmm. because Herdman's done very done one thing very well. Mm-hmm. Tell me if you think I'm right. He's figured out what this collection of guys are good at and they can repeat it mm-hmm. and that is yeah. a winning formula. Yeah, I agree completely. Two things, that play within your means, figure out what we are and let's play that way and be consistent and disciplined about it. And two, a, a belief in yourself too. I think a that's team what, spirit. Yeah, he's brought that. Do you feel am I am I on the right track to say that Canada of 2022 feels a lot like one of the older American teams? From back in the day, yeah, back in the early '90s when they were just or getting even this, early on rest together and yes, yeah. Does that make? Does that a yeah. fair comparison? Yeah, mm-hmm. where they got sure. by with a lot of guile and spirit yeah. and just willing to work harder than yeah. the other team, speed and athleticism. Yeah, it, uh, it was a weird game, but the thing that dawned on me and the reason why I realized that I was correct in thinking maybe Canada just got good at soccer is not only are they undefeated. And this may be the first time, I, Andy, I don't know if in the history of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF, a team will end up going undefeated when you also add in the fact that Canada had to go through the earlier pre-qualifying rounds that the U.S. and Mexico didn't have to go through. Yeah, I think I think Mexico has gone undefeated in, in CONCACAF But they didn't have to go through those earlier rounds. R- right. So That's what you're saying, does any has has any team gone this many has had this long of a qualifying schedule and go undefeated? Correct. Yeah. I, now question. they've got three games left. They do, and, the, and they're tough ones. Jamaica at home. Hopefully that's the one that clinches it. But before that, they have Costa Rica on the road, and then they finish with Panama on the road. Both of those teams will be like they've got to win. Yeah, whatever yes. it takes. So your hope, and they, all they need is a tie. Canada has automatically already clinched at least at, at worst fourth correct right? the yes. playoffs the play-in spot yeah but one more point gets them in the world cup and hopefully that comes against jamaica uh, hopefully it comes on the road against costa rica in that first match but they do have jamaica yeah, at home before we started this window i was thinking i thought canada was going to cool off uh because they never had won a world cup qualifier in a central american com- country and they did that in this particular last window in fact they did it twice at honduras and at el yeah. salvador not only did they do that they ended up with full 9 points yeah. which is unbelievable and they tied. They got a point on the road against the two CONCACAF powerhouses, the U.S. and Mexico, and that was key, too. Yeah, to be able to be, to get points in all four of those games, it, well, U.S. and Mexico didn't do that this particular yeah. time. So that's a, that's a big deal. Now, the, the reason why this all gets interesting is that while the U.S. did end up getting six points from the window, they won the two home games they needed to win. Uh, the loss against Canada hurt them a little bit because now the situation gets really sticky for the U.S. because they first off, they have to go to Mexico, who will get a full stadium back. Their ban on fans is over. Then they have a the, the game that's going to mean everything is the home game against Panama. Right. We don't know where that's being played yet. Yeah, we do know that one. They, oh, they, 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 yeah, they said where that's being played? Uh, in Florida, I think. Uh, Orlando. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... The game that you don't want to mean anything is the final game at Costa Rica, a place the U.S. has never won a World Cup qualifier. Yeah. Depending how things turn out, and if they maybe only get a draw against Panama, that last game against Costa Rica could be to decide who avoids fourth. 
for example. Yeah, there is a scenario where the U.S. loses out and ends up fifth and out of the World Cup again. And that's the. That's really loud. Um, that uh, that would be the worst case scenario. But there is another scenario where the U.S. loses to Mexico, loses to Panama. And then it comes down to not just the U.S. having to win on the road in Costa Rica. It also then counts on the Canadians to get a result against Panama in Panama, probably at a point where the Canadians don't care anymore. Look, this could happen. The U.S. could beat Panama at home, lose to Mexico, and then have to go to Costa Rica. And if they lose, they end up in like fourth. Right. They have to go to the play-in. Yeah. Yeah. They can't just... A lot of this is going to rep- a lot of this is going to rely on other results. Canada right? getting a result in yeah. Costa Rica. Like yeah. the US really needs Costa Rica. Now, you know, after the game against Jamaica, Costa Rica there were some accusations that they had played players with co- test positive COVID tests. Right, but and the, uh, so FIFA and CONCACAF Rules because have- World Cup qualifiers are not CONCACAF it's not a CONCACAF tournament. It's an official FIFA, FIFA tournament. Right. So it's FIFA rules, FIFA personnel. So I the, I believe what happened there was those two players that played that had tested positive had already had COVID within ten days or at least ten days. Some so rule. it all got cleared up, is right. what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so the, the, we're not in a situation where Costa Rica is going to have to mm-hmm. forfeit a game or anything. No. All right, so that's how it stands at this particular moment. The U.S. did end up beating Honduras in a miser the most miserably silly conditions I can possibly imagine. <laughs> It was it was ridiculous. Um, Pepe finally started. He didn't start the Canadian game. He didn't uh, start the game prior to that. He ends up getting a broken nose early in the game. Did you not know no. that? No. Oh yeah. So the collision early in the game, he ended up breaking that. They said afterwards it was a broken nose. So not only did he played in those conditions, he played in those conditions with a fractured nose. All right. Let's talk about how hard it is to play and and. Cold wet, like extreme cold weather, and how hard it is to breathe. Yeah, and now it you was have like five nose. degrees at kickoff. Here's what I want to talk because people have been asking me this: Why? Well, first off, everybody should know the home federation is the one that makes yeah. the decision. Yeah. The second part is why would the U.S. choose to do this to yeah. themselves? Right. And my issue is, it turned out to be okay. I mean, it was just really, really cold. But had it snowed. And we're talking early February in St. Paul, Minnesota. The odds that it, I mean, it, they're pretty good that it it was going to snow during the game, right? That, you know, you're flipping a coin at that point. If it snows and you have a snow event, you're basically taking away all advantages the U.S. has of being the better team. I mean, the, you, on paper, the U.S. should beat Honduras anywhere they play in the U.S., yeah, right? Yeah, Honduras is winless. They, right. they so just had to travel 2,000 miles. You add the element of snow, and then that completely gets erased. It didn't happen, and they ended up winning 3-0 easily. Not easily, but, well, you know, handedly. Here's the thing, and this is what I thought about after the famous Snow Classico against Costa Rica, and and because and, a lot of people were like, man, Honduras had to sub a couple of guys out that had hypothermia. Yeah, the goalkeeper at halftime. And... and <laughs> And those are and and by the way, the the conditions in which they played the game actually go against the U.S. Federation's own guidelines. Mm-hmm. Like they have yeah. a whole chart yeah. of wind temperature and when you should cancel yeah. stuff. That was clearly in the section that said, "Yeah, you might want to think about yeah. changing. Go your, indoors. Is go what somewhere it says. else." Yeah. And by the way, there was a stadium just not too far away. They could have played it well, inside the emergency stadium that mm-hmm. they had lined up as yeah. Plan B, Austin. 
Oh, was it really? Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. What people tend to forget is that every other country in CONCACAF go out of their way to stick the U.S. in their worst possible playing conditions. Mexico forces the U.S. to play in that giant stadium at altitude in the smog in, in Mexico City. That's a brutal place to play for both of those reasons. El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, yeah. all of those countries in Central America stick the U.S. in the hottest, stickiest. Yeah. Equally- and some of those countries, it's all the same. I mean, they're small countries. Wherever you play it, it's going to be like that. But that's their advantage. But they, they'll play them during the day yeah, versus right. night. Exactly. You, you know, what, and, and those are in many ways equally as dangerous health conditions, mm-hmm. just the other end of the scale. Right. So when you see what the U.S. is doing, it's almost like sticking it back to them. I kind of wish everybody would just find a middle ground and go. Well, that's my point. My point is extreme cold, that was fine. The elements the U.S. handled, and it affected Honduras more than the U.S., but had it snowed, and that's the chance yeah, that's... you're taking by playing in St. Paul, had it snowed, then it would have been a different story. Can you get that cold so weather element? And, you know, so here's why are they playing Panama in Orlando? That's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you go to such extremes to play the two bottom-of-the-table guys in the worst possible because conditions? Because it's close to Miami, and they're flying to Mexico, and they're flying to Costa Rica, and they want to be close to the airport that gets them there, I believe. So it's okay, because this is the other element that That's is kind of behind the scenes, which is all about the least amount of travel yeah. possible. Yeah, at least amount of hours on a plane. is uh, He's big about that. Okay, well, I get it. And it so just, that's why they played in Minnesota and Columbus, Minnesota especially, because it was close to Toronto where they're going to have to play. You know, Hamilton, they were going to have to fly out of Toronto. So, look, when it's 50 degrees and we go play Sunday pickup soccer, you're dressed like an Eskimo. How would you, like, what would oh, you do I wouldn't, in that? I couldn't. Like I, uh, I don't know how anybody played in those conditions because your all your your limbs freeze mm-hmm. up. That ball is like kicking a rock, and the ball hits you in the head. You're, I it just it's the, the worst yeah. conditions possible. But they handled it well. Look, and and uh, Weston McKinney again looked like it's uh, his team, right? Man, I, I I said this on Buzz's podcast watching. Kellen Acosta and Weston McKinney boss around a World Cup qualifier is such a proud thing for me as a guy from Dallas because those are not just kids that came through a Dallas pro team, but they're from here, right? Pepe's from El Paso. Chris Richards, he's from Alabama. Weston and Kellen are from the DFW area, and they were kings in that game. Yeah, Acosta was very good. All right, I was going to ask you real quick about Mexico, Mm because Tata is in a weird spot there. They struggled to get their points against Panama uh, very late in the game. They're still a point behind the United States. Mm -hmm. or They're tied with the United States at 21 points, but behind on goal differential. They have the easy— Yeah, that's uh, to their advantage is the schedule, right? The schedule works out really well, and they get their fans back. Yeah, they have two home games, one on the road. The U.S. has one home game, two on the road, and that's the difference. Yeah, I just— as a uh, as a jaded, uh, uh, what's the word? Traumatized U.S. fan, mm-hmm. looking at the rest of the schedule and realizing that you now have to count on Canada to help out, keep the U.S. from its own self. Because if Canada beats Costa Rica and beats Panama on the road, 
Yeah, this is all is, a non-factor, but this, at some point, Canada is going to be qualified. I right? know. That's yeah. the point. That's my point, Andy. <laughs> so that's why you're being all nice. Because the Canadians <laughs> and the United States really have the worst of the rest of the schedules right. as compared to the people that are chasing them for the rest of it. Because Mexico, Panama, and Costa Rica in this next window have two home games. Yep. Canada and the U.S. both have to go on the road twice. Canada took care of business when they had to. Did you know Canada beat France? <laughs> And then there's the whole Christian Pulisic thing, like like not starting him against Honduras. And what's going on there? Well, he came on and scored a goal, so it was the right move. And then off of Pepe's flick, by the way. Yeah. Did you see the flick? I saw the flick. Nice little flick. Um, yeah, you know, hey, he's. I do you are, do you criticize Burhalter for benching him against Honduras? No, I thought they had to do that. Who's the the kid that? Played Delatore. Good. Now, yeah. I mean, I don't Luca know much Delatore about him. Luca Delatore is Honestly, such a fantastic player. Well, you about? know, he was with Fulham for a long time, and yeah, Fulham wouldn't played. do anything, and so now he's playing in some unknown team, and I think in Belgium or something. And you know, he's. I think his contract's up at the end of the year. So, uh, man, he was a man. That guy covered so much ground and played so well. Looked really good. It's very weird to see the U.S. consider that their midfield's not really their problem. That's something yeah. we've never had to deal with before. So. Speaking of the Dallas and the homegrown guys, though, shout out to FC Dallas, who at one point, I think six of the guys, six of the 11 players were either academy products or guys on the team, a draft pick. Zimmerman, I mean, he was drafted through Dallas and started here. Yeah. Look, I... It's it's very it's very weird to see all those guys heading up the national team. It's a it's a good time to be a fan of good old FCD. That's for sure. So uh, the games pick up again on March the 24th. That first game is U.S. versus Mexico uh, in Mexico. I'm assuming it's the Azteca, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that will be a a sight to behold. That's the 24th as maybe. Oh, by the way, their uh, Herrera, their midfielder is out on suspension for that game. So that actually worked out in the U.S.'s favor as well. So now now let's I know we're short on time, but like let's let's just say what if the u.s gets a point there right yeah. not out of the question right all the pressure now goes on mexico on mexico oh yeah yeah it'd be nice to see mexico struggle then uh, they're gonna and, be like and worry about yeah. and sweat it for for qualification that would be fun all right we're gonna go when we come back we're gonna dial up our friend daniel and talk all about today's milan derby next year on the kick around I think I have a new sports documentary recommendation that I will do during today's episode of The Dribble before the end of the show. So stick around for that, kids. Welcome back to The Kick Around, Saturdays 2 to 4. At least uh, it feels that we're getting back on track to that. Hi, I'm Peter. He's Andy. And today was a big day in Italy. It was the Milan Derby and Paramount Plus. Did you see the trailer they put together, the promotion trailer for today's game? I did not. Oh, it was artistic. It was great. And to discuss it, we uh, are now dialing up on the Diamond Factory ticket hotline, your friend and mine, Daniel Robertson. How you doing, Dan? Yol. Ragazzi, buongiorno a tutti. Buongiorno, Daniel. Come stai, amici? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, did you see the trailer Paramount Plus put together for the Milan Derby? Yeah, I did, and it was incredible. And and be, even beyond that, you have to give a lot of credit to uh, to the people over at CBS because they not only created that, but they flew their entire uh, American-based staff over to Milan for the game. They had everyone 
on the pitch pregame. They had, uh, you know, calling it from the stadium. Um, and, you know, I was a little bit um, apprehensive seeing, uh, you know, CBS take over the Serie A rights for this season. And, I mean, they've knocked it out of the park, uh, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's exciting for a fan. The game was also on, on CBS Network, not just Paramount, by the way. Because I watched yeah, it on CBS, CBS Network. Network. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so they had they, they broadcast yeah, it on the on their network channel too that not everybody gets. So <laughs> uh it was a big deal today, and the the storyline out of this is the the great, weird, curious story of one Olivier Giroux. Yeah, I mean, who saw that coming, to be honest, because he may not even have been starting the match if uh if Zlatan was available. It was touch and go in the week and, and he wasn't available. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a match, the biggest uh, Derby della Maronina in, in probably 10 years, uh, top of the table, which obviously neither of these teams have been at too much over the last decade. And look, it looked like Inter had it in the bag. They were just cruising along one nil lead. And then out of nowhere, uh, Giroud 75th minute, a, a scrappy golden, Three minutes later, he 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 rolls uh, uh, Stefan Devry like a like a hand rolled cigarette and, <laughs> and makes it two one. Uh, Milan steals the three points. The title race wide open in Italy. It does, you know, after so many years of Juventus just kind of winning the Scudetto right out. Uh, it does. It is nice to see such a tight race because, am I correct in saying that is it Inter now has a, a pretty tough go of it because not only do they have to now go and play Napoli, who are in second place, or at least tied for, I suspect will end up being second place, but now they've also got Champions League and Liverpool facing them too. Yeah, and they're going to have to kind of decide probably which one they want to prioritize at the end of the day. But, I mean, if, if, if Inter had held on to that lead, they would have had a seven-point lead over Napoli, a four-point lead over Milan, and, and a nice little cushion there to maybe rest some players in some games. But now, I mean, Milan's a point behind. Napoli could pull within a point with a, or within two points with a result this weekend. Uh, it's, it's wide open. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it couldn't be more exciting for the neutral. Um, and, and, yeah, just another big match that delivered in Italy again. So speaking of those three teams, is Napoli really the, the best of the three in some ways, I mean, or do you still think Inter is is the team to beat and they'll end up winning it all? You still got to say Inter just because they have the strongest midfield, um, they have the strongest defense, and and you know what else for Napoli? It looks like Chucky Lozano is going to be out for maybe a month or two. I know he suffered an injury with Mexico uh, in that last World Cup qualifying game a few days ago. I think it was maybe his hamstring, uh, and and he looks like he could be out for a month or two, which could be the difference for them between actually, uh, you know, sustaining a title, uh, a title challenge. I still think it's interest, but it's way more wide open now than it was about three hours ago. All right. So for P1s that are, are new-ish to Serie A, could you explain a little bit how the San Siro as a stadium works between those two clubs, how they share that facility with each other, especially on games like today where one has to be the home team? Yeah, you know, they, they, yeah, so they eat basically there's a game there every weekend, and either Inter or, or Milan is, is, is going to play a home game. Um, it's owned by the city. They have, I think, that it seems like it's, you can basically set your watch to it every year. They put out plans for a new San Siro that looks glorious and, and, uh, and, and, you know, rivals Jerry World for, uh, for the finest stadium. And, and it never, I mean, it's never going to happen. Uh, and so they still just, continue to share it and you have the curva nord which supports inter the curva sud which supports milan uh and i mean look like i said uh paramount 
CBS, they did an excellent job of putting across the atmosphere of the game today. It's one that we all need to see at some point in our life. Have you been to uh, a Milan Derby? I haven't. I have been to San Siro. It's you know, it's it's just one of those cathedrals of of English soccer. You, you know, putting it up there with the New Camp and and the uh, the Bernabeu and and all of those. It's big. It's hulking. It's seventy five thousand. It's old. Uh, maybe falling apart a little bit, but it's it's got its charm. Hey, so uh, shifting gears a little bit, we were talking about the national team and how Weston McKinney has really changed or turned things around, I guess, after the incident with the national team where Burhalter said basically, you know, just get out of here and we'll take you back <laughs> at the next window. He was having issues at Juventus as well. There was talk about a transfer, but he's also turned it around there now, right? And, I mean, he's playing really well both for club and country. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in November, I think we were talking and saying a move to Tottenham was maybe possible, a move somewhere else, and a price tag of $20, 25000000 million. Juventus just hoping to get their money back. Now he's – I mean, Allegri has said he's untouchable. He literally used those words. And if you want to say actions speak louder than words, uh, Juventus sold Rodrigo Bentancourt to Tottenham this week. Uh, in, you know, they, they had a few different transfers, but one of them was Bentancourt to Tottenham for about $25 million. And you would have thought that was probably going to be Weston McKinney's name about two months ago. Now McKinney is basically a, a, a penciled-in starter on the team. Um, and, and, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm surprised. He always had it in him. But he has absolutely taken a step forward this year. We see it in the national team. And he's been scoring goals for both teams. All right. Now, since we're talking about Juventus, they currently sit in fifth place with 42 points, which is essentially 11 points behind Inter. Um but only a point or two, a point behind Atalanta and seven points behind Napoli. While we have not talked to you in a while, since we last talked to you, Andy and I's team, Fiorentina, sold its best player, Vlaovic, the amazing goal scorer, to Juventus. So now is Juventus positioned to make maybe not a title chase, but at least put themselves in a position to really make the rest of the season interesting? Yeah, you know, this was, and this is the classic Allegri, right? His teams don't play well to start the season. They figure it out, especially defensively. And if you look in their last uh, few results since, since we came back from the break, they're really stacking up wins. They're stacking up shutouts. But they still didn't have that focal point goal score. And it has been, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's been a potentially transformative week for Juventus. Uh, you sign, uh, you know, outside of Erling Holland, I think he's the number one, probably under 23 goal scorer in the world right now. I agree. And yeah, you don't spend up to 80 million euros on this guy. Uh, it's actually the third highest valued winter transfer in history wow. behind Van Dyke and Coutinho. So, you know, the money speaks. But they also were able to move on Bentoncourt, as I said. They moved on uh, kind of a flop. Dejan Kulisevsky, he goes to Tottenham now to play uh, with Conte, who, who knows him a little bit, you know. But Juventus has been able to get some, let's say, dead weight off the books. They bring in this guy who can be potentially, you know, transformative for the team. He scored, I think, 38 goals in the last year and a half in Serie A. He doesn't need to learn the league. They've got Villarreal in the Champions League, which is certainly a winnable tie as well. You know, so the goal this season for Juventus, they're not going to win the league. 11 points is too far. But 
they, you know, top four is an absolute necessity. I think that is well within reach at this point. I mean, as a Juventino, it's been an exciting week. Yeah, for those who aren't paying attention, Vlahovic, who they got from Fiorentina, is le- is tied for the lead in goal scored in Serie A. So they they signed the best goal scorer, at least currently, in the league. And that'll be a great story to watch. Now, uh, part of the reason why we started doing this is because of all the Americans. And what I'm looking at at the bottom of the table, fighting off and trying to stave off relegation, is Venezia, which has Tanner Tessman and Busio on it. And I'm just, you know, they're only a point outside of this relegation zone. Do you think they can, you know, keep it together long enough to stay in Serie A for next season? going to be tough isn't it i mean uh, they just haven't really been able to it seems like when they hit, when they have good defensive performances they can't score goals and then when they have good offensive you know good offensive performances they they just give up a lot of goals they just haven't gotten the results i don't think they have a win since uh maybe like early november it's been a while it's piling up um and you do definitely have to worry about them they've got napoli tomorrow coming to venice which I mean, that's one you're going to want to check out, 8 o'clock kickoff on that one. Um, you know, Napoli, then Torino, it's, it's not going to be an easy road for Venezia. Of course, we root for them. Busio's been playing well, arguably their best player. Tessman, you know, working his way in and out. He started a couple games here and there. Um, but it's going to be tough for them. We, we'll all root for them to survive. Uh, it's going to be tough. All right, Andy. You got anything else you want to ask him about? Some food things before we go, because I know you like to. No, Mil- Milan. Uh, because today was the Classico. Uh, the Milanese. Have you had that experience in Milan proper? The classic dish of I Milan. Need to, I need to. I I have not. I have been to. There is an American fried chicken place in Milan run by a guy. Uh, from I think he's from Kentucky. That uh, one day, me and my wife, we had to have fried chicken. Google it; uh, it's amazing. So I've been to Milan for the fried chicken, uh, the KFC American style. I have wow. not had the Milanese. I know I'm exposing myself right now on that. Yes, one. Andy's judging fried, you, Daniel. Yes, totally. <laughs> Look, okay. Am I going to have to make it. it for you here in the U.S.? I would. I would be happy to join you for that. And by the way, you for you Fiorentina guys, I do have some good news. You did sell Vlahovic, but there was already a transfer in place. They signed Artur Cabral, who's a uh, Brazilian forward from Basel in the Swiss League. He's had at least 15 goals in the last three years for them. Uh, he's 23 years old. He started today. They're, they're losing to Lazio, but they, they already had a move planned. So, so let's watch him. There's still a reason for hope in Florence. I am very positive about – I'm all things Viola, Daniel. Don't you forget <laughs> that. I wear it, I, I, yeah. I wear it proudly. Uh, Dan Robertson, our good Serie A correspondent. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Ciao, as they say over there. All right, when we come back, I want to discuss the pending institution of Robot VAR next here on The Kickaround. We'll do an episode of The Dribble here before the show is over. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about that has uh, been quietly appearing <clears throat> across the landscape. You know, we talked earlier today about the controversy of VAR and the Manchester United situation against Middlesbrough yesterday where the whole handball thing was going on. But the other part of VAR that we get frustrated with or have talked a lot about is how VAR has been used to judge offside. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the weird things about all of that is <sighs> offside as a rule and its origins was built on the spirit of just trying to keep guys from snow uh, snowboarding snow right. up top, right? Mm-hmm. And over the years, it's become more and more of this issue of much finer levels of degrees of advantageous position. Yeah, Yeah, well, it used to be back in the day that even was off. If you were even with the defender, you were off. And then they changed the rule that even to, to give the advantage to the offense, that even was still on. And 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 for a while it was like sort of evenish. You were on, right? I mean, right. there was not there was no hair split. But then we got into video review or 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 reviews of plays, and then you know the, then linemen, as they were called, then assistant referees today, they they were judged because oh, you know, he wasn't really off. You know, he was, you know, half his body was on, and and because it used to be just kind of in the area was okay. Sure. And and by the way, I would say at least in the Premier League, the number of times that you we see these calls and you find out that the lineman actually got it right is insane. Is really really yeah. mind blowing considering right. the speed and pace of all this is going on. Yep. And and I don't want anybody to think that we're about to just start um, bad mouthing or getting into the whole VAR thing because that's not what this conversation is about. It's about the fact. That if we're there's two parts to this. One is is that um, Dale Johnson over at ESPN has been writing about the fact that quietly in the background, FIFA has been working with software engineers and artificial intelligence mm-hmm. scientists to develop a automated system for deciding offside via computer and right. camera systems. So in between this happening and 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 what we were talking about is VAR was instituted, right? VAR, and yep. a human now has to line VAR, up the line and do it himself, and it takes a long time. And when the ball is played off the foot. Your big thing is that it's a judgment call when when a human's doing it. But even you know? making the lines is a judgment right, call. exactly. All that. And then and then you, and you're, you're splitting hairs. And now offside has changed from something something that was kind of like in the ballpark, like the second base rule in baseball, in the ballpark was okay. Now it's got to be exact because we've gone to VAR. Now that has changed. So if we're going to be like that, then this latest development is not bad. No. Well, okay, this is the other part of the story that I wanted to talk about, which is there is a divide amongst fans, and I do believe that it is generational, over the concept of being offside is like being pregnant. You either are or you're not. And that's not how you and I were brought right. up to interpret the rule. There was a gray area mm-hmm. of, well, that's not really a, a position of advantage, so mm-hmm. why are you bothering with it? Why would you take away this amazing goal when he really didn't have an advantage? And that was really the beauty and romantic side of it. But I do think that there is a new generation who, because they grew up with soccer via video games, they and see this to a certain extent. Well, yeah, they see this rule as something that needs to be implemented as a binary decision, mm-hmm. either are or not. Yep. And I do think that's the differentiator. So what is interesting now is because I think we can all agree the current drawing of the line and all of that is just too messy to be to be consistent is the fact that FIFA appears and they're testing it out now at uh, the 
Uh, they're gonna well, they're trying to put it in for the World Cup in Qatar, mm-hmm. but they're testing it out in Afcon and and the oh the World Club tournament. Yeah. Sorry, that's where they're testing it, and. It's an automated system in many of the same ways that we see with goal line technology, which is a very binary thing. No matter how old you are, the ball is either in or it's not. Right. And I think that's just something that will change in soccer. It used to be one way way back then, and it's evolved. And in the future, it's going to be very black and white. So if you haven't looked at the story, what's really fascinating is that during this ongoing World Club cup that is mm-hmm. happening the fifa world the FIFA, yeah because yeah, the early rounds of Club it have world. already started is that there was a goal decided as not uh it was taken away mm-hmm. because a robot an artificial intelligence system mm-hmm. with a ca- with 10 to 12 cameras yeah. it's not w- like a robot going ding, ding. No. <laughs> it's a computer right. that is right. tracking everybody on the field mm-hmm. uh, there's skele- uh, skeletor wait Skeletal yeah, sensors that that outline the skeletal the skeletal right? yeah. yeah the the structure of the human body and then can actually do 3D modeling in instantaneous so it can tell you instantaneously if a player is offside yeah. now the good news is is the system can be adjusted for us all to agree that your toe being i mean if we decide that right mm-hmm. it, is it any part of your body that makes you offside is it only a part that you can score with those are all things the the system can be baked into yep but the fact that it one can by artificial intelligence very clearly make a decision on when the ball is played and then two in that moment where the line gets drawn I think everybody will feel much better about yeah, this. Like they the do same, with goal line technology. With goal line technology. Yeah, exactly. There is a VAR official, an off, a dedicated offside VAR official that does look at something like, okay, because the computer can't get this. Does that Was that player deemed offside? Was he really interfering with the player or not? Was he involved or not? And there will be some judgment there. But those tend to be more black and white anyway, right? I mean, sure. yeah, rarely is that like a real, like, oh, we disagree on that one. Now, what I will find interesting is how do they, how do they write into the code the decisions about a player in an offside position that may or may not be obstructing the view of the goalkeeper. But that's what that's the 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 human assistant. That's what that's he what will he provide. Does? Oh, yes, he provides okay. those eyes. That part of it. Yes. Okay. Right. All exactly. Right. Um, now the other interesting uh, byproduct of this is that coaching staffs, technical teams, will have access to this. Uh, technology because it's not the cameras used for the broadcast. It's right. a completely separate exactly. system of cameras. Yeah, it's it's not too dissimilar to what uh, technology is used now to track players and uh, passing and all. You know, the same same kind of multi camera technology. They will have access to 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 video, and they will be able to because it's all uh, done from different angles. They will be able to watch the game only seconds behind the actual time of the game. From any angle they want, so Pep Guardiola <laughs> crazy. can have eyes on the other side looking towards him, right? Only a few seconds behind actual play, or he can get like in a corner if he wants, and watch the game that way. Now, I'm a, the part that I'm I still haven't figured out is how is this going to get paid for? It's like every club going to be responsible. Like does a does for example the Premier League decide we're going to use this tool? But every club has to install the system and pay for it, or do the leagues pay for it? Is FIFA paying for it? I, I would assume like the Premier League will pay for it, for it to be 
used in the Premier League, and it's a one-time investment to in- install the cameras. Then and then the software upgrades. Right, but that's <laughs> you know those Bigger. are for people like you that then come. That's all on us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that'll come with a small fee too. <laughs> yeah. The annual software upgrade <laughs> yeah. of your your offside VAR system robot. Uh, and then the question is. How do you know? This is the weird thing about the FA Cup this year, which is VAR is only being used in stadiums that are being yeah, played that in the is Premier wonky, League a little bit, right? So That's the Man- a little wheels off, right? So the Manchester United game on Friday has yeah. a VAR situation, but over at the game today with yeah. West Ham and Kidminister did not because they don't have VAR, right? People uh, were critical of Concacaf for not having VAR in the first half of these qualifiers. And then suddenly after the new year, now they have VAR. So now Kronkercalf was criticized for having it and then for not having it and now having it. That's kind of similar as well. Some stadiums, yes. Some stadiums, no. I think the big thing here, this is just an evolution in soccer. Now it's going to be very black and white, what is offside and not. And I think in 10 years, it's just going to be an accepted part of what, how the game is watched. I do think it's an improvement because it takes much of the subjectivity out of it. What I am worried about though is that the end result is going to be this decision that something is offside Yeah, is an innocuous, weird like that, okay, his knee is offside, but he really doesn't have an advantage. I know, but but you can only you can either do it that way or we can go to fuzzy like it used to be. I like fuzzy. And cl- yeah, I know, but you know, the, we're we're old. Although we're fuzzy old. is what got me got we're a goal <laughs> called against us yesterday in the FA Cup, yeah. right? Fuzzy. Was right. it accidental <laughs> yeah. that he touched the ball right. with so his they're hand? So tr- they're they're eliminating fuzzy from offside. That's just the way right. it is. Well, uh, we've tweeted that article out over on the ESPN site. We'll tweet it again so that you guys can check it out. There's actual video of the computer animation. That's what, By the way, the coolest part of this is the actual computer 3D modeling animation that pops up instantly that draws almost like mm-hmm. this field. Yeah. This is, uh, 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 I don't know what you call it, like a, a, a curtain across the player yeah. and shows which part of their body is offside compared to the other one. It's pretty the, cool. They're saying eventually... The the assistant ref is just going to get the signal in his ear, offside, not offside, and he's just going to raise the flag hmm. or not. I wanted a big siren to go off or something okay. like that. Okay. So. <laughs> or some stadium. monkey. What about the VAR alarm in all stadiums? Monkey to stand on the crossbar and jump up <laughs> yeah. and down. What about the VAR alarm in all stadiums? When offside. That's right. Oh, no, no. That's we the could VAR charge alarm. royalties for it. Yeah. We could. Yeah. We own the rights to that. <laughs> all right. Uh, that'll do it for Robot VAR Talk. When we come back, it's the dribble on the kick around. Andy, uh, I need to express my admiration for something that may surprise you and now may be the finest sports documentary I've ever watched. Oh, do say. Would Would you find it shocking to hear me say that I think the Netflix series Cheer is that show? Do you even know what I'm talking about? It's about a college, right? <laughs> yes. say, is this a soccer documentary? I thought it was a cheerleading documentary. It is. It is a cheer. It is a series on yeah, Netflix about this. Navarro College. At least series yeah. episode. The first season was about was exclusively about Navarro College, which is one the cheerleading for community colleges or whatever it's called, okay. like umpteen times, mm-hmm. and that turned them all into world famous superstars, et cetera, et cetera. Well, season two just dropped a couple of weeks ago and my wife and I just finished watching it. Now, 
uh, part of the reason why it took so long for season two was due to COVID. The 2020 season of cheer competition was eliminated. Mm. They didn't. They didn't have the big competition down in Daytona. I did not know that. So here's the thing. Let me just say this. I don't care about cheerleading at all. Okay. But if you care about competition, the differences within a team of different people's competitive spirit, leadership, mm-hmm. the drama behind you know, winning it all and all of that stuff in terms of just purely sports, Greg Whiteley, who is the director of this stuff, dude should be directing the next Star Wars trilogy. It is amazing his ability to take something I care nothing about and turn it into something that I can't wait to watch the next episode about. And and it, and it gets so crazy that in between season one and two, the character or the person that turned out to be a nationwide most beloved guy turns out to be a pedophile. Okay. And they literally start season two addressing Jerry's arrest for soliciting sex from teenage boys. And they actually have a whole other episode that goes into it. And they don't they don't avoid it in any way. And not only do they do that, they drag in their nemesis college and make them part of the story. It's awesome. It is so good. It is it is really nothing about cheering and everything to do with the the the, the human spirit and competition and trying to be your best. It is really 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 good. Kind of like Africa Cup of Nations. Human right. spirit, competition. T- time now for drama. the drama. No. I don't know. I'm telling you you are missing out. On very attractive young adults competing at their finest. Peter. It's a little weird to say. A little weird. You phrase that a little strangely. I'm why a weird we, guy. Why don't we go back to soccer talk? Uh, Africa Cup of Nations. Do you know it's an all Liverpool final? Yes, oh, and that's the Liverpool That's the only reason why only, we're talking about this. Liverpool in the house. Tomorrow, 1 p.m., Senegal and Egypt. No, 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 Saudi no, 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 no. Yes. Versus Mo Salah. Yes, yes. By the way, the showdown. Am I wrong in saying that I saw a highlight package of Mo Salah being put in the pocket of a Seattle Sounder left back? What? Uh, oh, Nuhu. <laughs> Nuhu, who plays for the Seattle Sounders, had a really, yeah. really good game against Mo Salah in the semifinal. Yeah. Still. Egypt prevailed in PKs. Andy, I'm telling you, you would really like cheer. Cheers! Yeah, I watched Cheers no. a lot. Man, that was yeah, one Norm, of the best you know, shows. He was great. Never, <laughs> I'm never talking t- TV with you ever. Um, so Egypt got past Cameroon, the home team, who everybody thought would get to the final in this very uh, testy game too. Africa Cup of Nations and kind of. No, we've had some issues. Yeah. Uh, and but tragic. Yeah, trampling some, of human life. Yes, referee decisions that were questionable, VAR-related wheels off moments. Wait, but, are you comparing death to VAR-related issues? Is that what I just heard? And Andy said, "Yes, they're all, they're all just problematic." He ta- he, we were laying out all the issues the tournament. You just had. kind of equated the, no. the loss of human life to, yeah, that referee missed a handball. You know, People this. have lost life through COVID. <laughs> Why well, are you turning are you, this on me? Are now? you saying not? Anyway, that game is tomorrow. Uh, I think the only place to watch it is on BN Sport or. Fubal t- F- Fubo, Fubo TV. Fubo TV. Yeah. 
And I don't think it's on the the free BN Sport, BN Connect, which you can get over HD. How do you keep track of all this? I don't, well, you know, I'm a nerd. Okay. When I'm not watching Cheer, I'm paying attention to this. Weak man. Uh, man. So the African Cup of Nations is almost over. And then Mane and Salah get to return back to their clubs and work on bridging that gap with Man City. Uh, yeah. Have you have you watched any of the effort? Have you watched any of I've the games? I've watched highlights. I've watched extended highlights. You know, like a twenty minute highlight package yeah. of games. So you can you know, you see the best plays. I don't know. Have you watched games at all? I'm like you. Like you go on yeah. YouTube and yeah. they put all the highlight right. packages on a YouTube feed yeah. and you can watch them. And it's you know, it's okay. Uh, it's I, I'm still confused why they play this at this particular time of year. Right. Because it's always in the middle of everybody's league season, and it creates havoc with teams that have a lot of African players on it. It just, I don't know. But it's not just about you. It's their tournament, and they want to have it now. It doesn't actually affect me in any way, Andy. Yeah, it draws players away from your favorite league, and maybe this is why you're annoyed. Well, your team actually is the one missing players, not mine. I'm fully supportive of this tournament. Because I'm a bit of a drama queen, and I love to (laughs) get into other people's business. Hey, speaking of wonky tournaments, the, uh, the FIFA Club World Cup, real quick. Yeah. Update for you. Monterey, the CONCACAF representative, out. Oh, no. <laughs> 1-0 loss today to a team from. Oh, it's a it's a, it's a a win or it, you're out yeah, it's at a, this it's, point? it's a one and done. They play El Halal or some. Yeah, Al Halilal. Is that the Iranian team? That's the team representing Asia. The Asian, yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, speaking of tournaments, did you Good know segue. <laughs> the U.S. women's national team is coming to the Dallas-Fort Worth area? The She Believes Cup, I believe. Yes. Now, I am of the opinion that the She Believes Cup is typically a tournament of the highest quality of opponents for the United States. Oh, who are we uh, looking uh, at here? Iceland, okay. the Czech Republic, and New Zealand. Uh, the three good. components. I don't think any of them are even in the top 15 of FIFA yeah. rankings. The other two are not women's soccer powerhouses. Now, February sure. 23rd is when the two games are being played up at Toyota Stadium. Yeah, now this is a transition national team now, and a lot of the youths are going to be played. Yes, yesterday. They're going to see some minutes now. Vlatko, the, new, the coach that's been taking this thing over, is in a tough situation because he's a guy who knows what he's doing. The players love him. Uh, he's got a fantastic resume, and he really is the right guy for the job, but he's in that weird transitional moment mm-hmm. where he's got to push the Alex Morgans yeah. and Kristen Presses and Carly Lloyds and Megan Rapinos out of the way to make room for the the youngins. The, uh, Katarina and all of the youngins that are coming up, and that's what's going to happen. So if you and your daughter or kids were planning on spending a lot of money to go to this game to see the big names, they're not going to be here. But... I'm going to encourage you to go anyway because the the level of players you are going to see are the guys or gals. Are the gals sorry, I should say. <laughs> the women that are going to be the ones playing in the next big tournaments. Yes. And, and they're pretty good, too. And you know what? My Our friend Daniel Crook actually made this point the other day. If you go see this team play on the 23rd up in Frisco, there's a good chance in Katerina Macario, mm-hmm. the girl that is playing for the U.S. that could have played for Brazil. She played at Stanford. Mm. Instead of playing here in the United States, she signed a deal to go play in France with Lyon. Mm-hmm. She's arguably a potential 
uh, Ballon Dior winner yeah. in her future, oh. and you're watching one of the best players in the world, Ballon her, Dior, and wow. she's and she's likely to going to be playing in Frisco, and that alone may be reason to go see those games. Doesn't it seem like all the good players lately are are going to Lyon and have signed with Lyon? They're going to be like the most powerful team in the history of women's soccer. You know, I I do think there's an interesting conversation to be had when it you know now that the women's situation in terms of their uh, contract with the federation or however all that legal stuff is going to end up playing mm-hmm. out. While that's been going on and they've been fighting about this, England, France, mm-hmm. other big countries that have big men's leagues in Europe have quietly been putting together yeah. really, really, really good domestic women's leagues. They've upped their game for sure. The WSL in England is getting a lot of play. Mm-hmm. Like the media has made a really clear choice to spend more time talking about the NW or the WSL in yeah. England mm-hmm. than the American media does spending about the NWSL. Yeah. Now I and I think I think I'm correct in saying that if you were to take the however many teams are in the United States domestic women's league, all of those teams would be competitive mm-hmm. in any women's European domestic right. league, and it doesn't necessarily translate the other way. But There's, it's getting very even now, getting, right? And yeah. this is the issue, too. Um, La Liga is the other one that's up their game because France has been doing it for a while, Sweden's Germany, but now England and Spain, two very powerful soccer countries, are up in their game on the women's side. Is that a lot more American women are going to start because they're going to start paying more. They're going to and the level of play is going to be high and the standard is going to be high. They're going to start playing over there. And is that going to hurt? That's eventually what the national team program. And there? that's kind of what I was getting at. Is while we've been bickering about all this other stuff that, by the way, is worth bickering about and, and getting resolved. The fact that the American women's league has always been the real crown mm-hmm. jewel of the sport. It's in danger of not yeah. being that now, which means are women from America more likely to go try to live their dream overseas, which would continue, as you said, continue mm-hmm. to hurt that. And I, I do think that's something to to keep an eye on. Um, you know, if the Dallas Fort Worth area is ever going to get an NWSL team, and where would they play, and who would own them, and all of that stuff, I, I, you know, is something to keep an eye on because I do believe there is a a viable market for that type of thing in this area. Mm. Because there's so much girls' soccer right. that's played at a very, very high level in this in this town. There is, and it uh, much of it started here with Sting. Sting was the pioneer soccer women's soccer club in the U.S. No doubt, they were the first national team. Sting Soccer Club from Dallas. Yep, was the first. Re- the, their players made up the first U.S. national women's team to travel abroad in competitions. All right, now since we're talking about soccer in the Dallas area, we should spend the last couple of minutes uh, just telling everybody that since we talked to you last week, it was made official. FC Dallas has signed for a club record $7.5 million in transfer fee, Alan Velasco, Mm -hmm. although because he's Argentinian, he pronounces it Velasco. He is 19 years old. He is a winger. Velasco. That's how he pronounces it, yeah. That's not Argentinian. That's just a weird pronunciation well, of the name. Somebody says that's how some Argentinian neighborhoods pronounce it or something. Um, he is coming from Independiente. He's considered to be one of the top five uh, under-20s in the Argentinian system at that position. Uh, Dallas apparently got him on a, at a discount rate. 
Independiente was asking or hoping to get as much as $20 million for him in a transfer fee. This is a fundamental sea change in how Dan and Clark Hunt run this mm-hmm. team. Uh, not only did they do that, as we told you last week, they went out and signed Paul Areola, who's part of the U.S. National System yeah. from D.C. United, a veteran in the league. They signed him for three more years, too. They have him for a while. He's a young player. So uh, the Major League Soccer kicks off in Feb- this month. In fact, the first Dallas game is against Toronto on the 28th, I think, or 26th, I think it is. Yeah. Things are different this year. Yeah. Look, they're lining up to be a really exciting 4-3-3 team. A, a team lot of, that is four, plays a 4-3-3, which is how a lot of these modern... Yeah, the new coach was clubs. Greg Berhalter's assistant at the national team, and it does appear that that system is what is getting instituted here mm-hmm. in Dallas. They, uh, By the way, they played Orlando in a friendly yesterday, and they've got a couple of more before the season and, kicks and off. And all this started because he came, the new coach, Nico, came and saw Paxton and said, Paxton's an eight! How do we yes. get Paxton to play eight? And yes. this is how. Andy and I's dreams of Paxton Palmacall <laughs> as a full-time eight for FC Dallas is happening. So get Paxton an eight, they went and signed all these players. We'll, we'll talk about this as we get closer to the season in the next week or so. But the reality is, as I have like five big talking points, and one of that is this is the season where Paxton's career yeah. is decided. Okay. I mean, if he gets hurt again, yeah. you know, but if he has a baller season, yeah. the promise yep. of going overseas suddenly is reignited, right? Yes. It becomes Correct. a real deal. Yep. Uh, Agree. And and by the way, they also traded for another international slot, so it's possible they're going to sign another Dang. name Team's here. on the move. Hey, it's nice to see all the whining yes. and complaining and bickering. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's nice to see all these moves. Got us somewhere. Oh, okay. Well, I want to... Oh, that, I, you're part of that. I want to say all of us that have been bitching about this you, for 20 years got th- somewhere finally. You think they're in, in, that, in, that, uh, in, the, uh, in that room, the, yeah. the strategy the center? Hunt, the hunt dining room. Yeah, and they're like, and now we can shut the beer up. Daniel, <laughs> please pass the gray poupon. <laughs> By the way, what are we going to do about all those whiny bitches? No, not those. Peter. Yeah. What about that... Welpton fellow. <laughs> they just have your Twitter feed on a big screen in there, just <laughs> rotating through. Look at him. Twi- uh, no, no, not on a screen, on a dartboard. <laughs> Look at him criticizing us for paying Frank O'Hara all that money. <laughs> I'm sure that's that's how uh, they talk. Uh, it's that's a live reenactment, a live yeah. look. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right, that does it for another episode of The Dribble. Successful, I would say. All right, uh, I think there's no football next week. Are we on next week, Sam? As of right now, yes. That so is awesome. Why are you shaking? Why would? What? Because there might be a basketball or hockey game or something that it's kicks us off. Super Bowl next weekend. Well, no football on Saturday. No American. Football. Andy, are you excited about the halftime show? Eh. Do you even know no. who's in? Okay. Who is it? So. Don't worry about it. It's nothing you need to worry about. Then, if you don't know, you don't know. Bond spaghetti. Exactly. Hey, everybody, don't forget to go watch the two seasons of Cheer. Trust me, it's worth your time. Jacob, thanks for tickers. Sam, thank you for producing EA. Thank you for board operating again at a very, very high level. We love to have you. P1s, we love and adore you. Get stuck in and win your 50s. Broadcasting live from the TXU Energy Mothership at Victory Park, hard by the AAC. This is Sports Radio 96.7 and 1310, The Ticket.
KTCK AM Dallas-Fort Worth, KTCK FM Flower Mound, a Cumulus Media Station. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. If you sacrifice your dream for the sake of satisfying someone else, that can often lead to ongoing resentment, which then poisons a relationship subtly, slowly, but it does. And if he doesn't want to let you down, then your dreams matter. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.